Welcome to the Duck Pod, Ryan Thorburn, joined by Ken Woody. Ken, we're getting ready for, I guess, what they used to call the Civil War. Uh, out of respect for the politically correct athletic departments at Oregon and Oregon State, I guess you got to come up with a new name, but number nine, Oregon at Oregon State this week. Uh, are you excited about this, or is the pandemic lessened the excitement around this game well i think this is a good game to get our minds off the pandemic and uh, of course thanksgiving helps too but you know i'm just so weird to have this game not be the the culmination of the season of course it might be the way that coronavirus is but to have it placed here next to uh with just about in the middle of the season is is very unusual and i don't know how to take it yeah, I, I, I think it's still cool that they kept the traditional Thanksgiving weekend window for it. Uh, but you're, you're right. But at the same time, Washington will wrap up the regular season, which is, you know, I guess Oregon's more competitive rival in today's landscape. Although I think Oregon State is much improved this year. Before we look ahead to that game Friday in Corvallis, let's rewind a little bit to the UCLA game. Uh, the Ducks survived 38-35. Uh, if you didn't have a, a dog in the hunt, so to speak, it was a really entertaining back-and-forth game. Uh, I thought Chip Kelly had a really good game plan on both sides of the ball, and his backup quarterback played well. They did not have Dorian Thompson-Robinson, as we talked about leading into that, due to contact tracing. Just your overall thoughts on that, that game. Well, the Ducks were lucky to win. I have a friend of mine who I asked him what he thought of, and he says, you know, uh, I watched just a couple minutes of the middle of it, and he said if it weren't for the four turnovers, I would have said that UCLA won by 20 points. Um, you know, their offensive line uh, did a really good job on Oregon's defense, and they rushed for 266 yards or so. Kelly said after the game, if you told me before the game – that we would have triple the amount of yards rushing that Oregon had and, and we would win. And he said, the fact that we didn't win is, is quite a surprise. Four big turnovers by the uh, Bruins lead to four touchdowns and uh, ducks were lucky to get out alive. Yeah. I mean, you say lucky, but I remember Andy Avalos last week was being asked, why aren't you guys getting any turnovers? They had zero turnovers in the first two games, and he said, we're, we're harping on it, we're practicing it, these things come in bunches, so, you know, he was right, they give four of them, including the pick six by Jordan Happel, which was really the play of the game at the end of the half, Chip dials up a Hail Mary, Brandon Dorless gets pressure on the quarterback, the ball pops up in the air, and Jordan Happel, who was only in there because Nick Pickett was sitting out for targeting, scores the touchdown. Without that play, I don't think they do win. Well, absolutely. And uh, Chip, right as he was leaving the uh, field for halftime, said on TV, that's on me. And, you know, it was his decision cost him the game. I mean, six seconds on the clock, you're going, you know, what can, what's the worst could happen? <laughs> well, 
That's one of the few times Oregon got to the quarterback enough to make that pass go short of the target. And, uh, you know, Happel, you know, figure, well, what the heck, I'll try to run it in. And there are a couple of great blocks, including one by Thibodeau, that, uh, and that turned that game around. And it's a lot different uh, when you're ahead 24-21 than if you're behind 21-17 in the locker room after having a 14-0 lead. Uh, UCLA pretty much had that game in hand until that play. Yeah, I asked Avalos this week if it's kind of surreal. You know, he was at Boise State as the defensive coordinator when Happel was, a, I think, a freshman or a redshirt freshman. And, and I think Happel's only previous interception was in that game off Justin Herbert. I said, is it kind of surreal that you two are reunited? And basically he won a big game for you at Oregon. And he said, it kind of is, you know, he's, it is a tough transition. Of course he made it easier knowing the defense, but uh, it's kind of funny how that worked out. And he said, not only was that play big in that game, but if the whole team watches that play and how hard Brandon Dorless worked to get to the quarterback how Happel made the play, and then how, as you mentioned, Kayvon Thibodeau hustled downfield to make the key block, and Happel hustled at the end to beat a, a really good, fast running back to the pylon. If the whole team plays that hard on every play, they're going to win a lot of games. That's that's really true, and and the the uh, turnovers, uh, um, McKinley's uh, scoop. Uh, you, it's really interesting how fast the defense jumps on the offensive wagon. You know, nobody stands around looking or celebrating. They all uh, become blockers, and it's very, very impressive. I, I, I saw that last year uh, in the Rose Bowl, a couple of turnovers, and uh, I think even the, uh, the talking heads of ESPN, uh, Kirk Hertzfried being one of them, uh, mentioned that, how – how fast the Ducks went on the offensive after they got an interception. So that part, uh, they've got really well. Um, tackling is another issue, although I think the guys they were trying to tackle this last week were um, that, that uh, Felton with his little spin move. Uh, you know, I, I watched that replay of the game several times, and I'm, I'm looking at some of those missed tackles saying, how would you tell a guy to play that? And you just don't, you know, usually go up against guys that can do that kind of uh, flash and dash. So um, I did see some good tackling. And a couple of a Felton in the open field. And those mean more than your average tackle. Are you concerned at all with Oregon's running game? Or do you think UCLA just had, you know, really good stunts, really good scheme, and they were not going to let Oregon beat them running the ball? Well, it was weird, um, you know, no matter what kind of – how great your running offense is, defenses can align themselves in a way to stop your run. And um, I, I think the offensive line did not have a very good push. Part of that was uh, – and Cristobal alluded to this – there was some confusion. And to me, this is where it hurts to have your offensive coordinator on the field because – you know, I, I was trying to keep up with all the shifting that UCLA was doing, and it, it was it was tough. And you know, it it had Shuck uh, on his heels, and I think Moorhead was on his heels a little bit too. You know, you can spend your time trying to 
find schemes to block eight guys with seven or six, or you can throw the ball. And the two uh, run pass options that went for touchdowns were against, uh, you know, a pressure defense and the guys they threw to, nobody covered them. So, you know, that's what you got to do to beat the blitz. You can't just block it all the time. You have to attack it. And uh, that, that means get open. I don't know uh, the, the kinds of routes that it's, it's hard on TV. You know, they, the, the, the view is so uh, tight. A lot of times you can't see the secondary coverage totally, but I think that uh, Oregon came back and uh, played with a little more moxie, but I, in the fourth quarter, I saw the offensive line noticeably pick up the pace and, and their pad level went down and, uh, it's not that they were cavalier about it early in the in the in the game, but they were not at their best. And UCLA's defensive linemen were beating them to the punch, and UCLA's offensive linemen were beating the defense to the punch. So, you know, that's congratulations for uh, UCLA. But you know, the games usually are uh, settled on the trench, but in this case, it was out in the uh, outer reaches where turnovers happen. And that's, you know, it reminds me of the old days when the Huskies, the Huskies would play terribly and then have a punt return or some big play to win the game. And it was always frustrating because you felt like you'd played with them and maybe even played better. But the thing is, those turnover plays, they're part of the game too, and you better be, excel at them. Yeah, and uh, another encouraging thing for Oregon, I think, is it wasn't the usual suspects on offense, Verdell, Travis Dye, uh, Red, Johnny Johnson. It wasn't them that was that were making the big plays. It was Hunter Campmoyer getting back into the lineup, the tight end, some big-time catches. He looked a lot improved catching the ball compared to last year. And then Devin Williams, the UCA, USC transfer that they've been really excited about. Mario Cristobal said he's been harder on him than any player trying to get it out of him because the talent is there and we're starting to see it. Well, I, I saw in him the beginning, um, I guess I attribute it to a little bit of USC where, you know, they get a lot of highly rated stars and sometimes on the sidelines, you can see they're not really together. They're worried more about uh, what they're doing rather than the whole team. And so um, I think that, uh, he had a little bit of uh, difficulty ad adapting to the challenge here. It's always, you know, it's always going to be a tough thing coming into a brand new team and they have their own way of doing things. And I'll tell you that um, you're coached different at Oregon than you are at USC. And it, it sounds like, and it looks like by his performance that he's adjusted to that. I'll tell you what, he, you can't cover him one-on-one. -on -one. And I would do everything I could by formation uh, or motion to get him one-on-one -on -one with somebody. He can beat a guy who's playing zone. He can beat a guy who's playing man. And he does that because he gets the defensive back's feet turned. And uh, I don't see a lot of this with uh, college receivers. Actually, even some of the pros, you know, if they're fast, they just try to outrun somebody. And then it comes to the point, out jump him. Well, um, Williams can do uh, stuff to get a step or two on any kind of route and then still out jump him 
if he needs to. So uh, I think he's really a, a weapon, and he's a weapon I would really try to use. Seems like the two plays that the defensive line made in this game were the ones I mentioned on the same play, Dorless with the pressure, Kayvon Thibodeau with the block, but they have been quiet this year, and you're seeing something in their alignment that you don't like. What's going on with this defensive line that was supposed to be one of the best west of the Mississippi? Well, it, 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 I, yeah, last night I went back to the Rose Bowl to watch how the defensive line aligned, and they did the same thing. It was a yard off the ball. I was sitting talking to a friend of mine, Dave Walker, who plays nose guard back in uh, my day, and he, was all, he also coached at Oregon, and he coached defensive line many years. And he was uh, commenting that, uh, you know, Thibodeau, you, you put him uh, nose up on an a offensive tackle, and he's going to beat that guy every time. If you give him if – if he's a yard off the ball, that gives the offensive lineman some time, which is space, between him and Thibodeau where he can – uh, uh, gauge uh, his reaction and block him a little better. So I, I don't know. I just that's something I'd love to be able to talk to the coaches about. But why do you do that? It just looks to me and uh, to Coach Walker that uh, that's that's hurting them a little bit. They don't get a push from their defensive line like they they could, and that's that was his observation. And I, I kind of see the same thing and as they said it'd be they pro they have a reason for being there and uh whatever it is it didn't it's not it's not reflected in amount of sacks the thing i don't like is i don't care so much about sacks but what i care about are deflected passes and um that's the one thing uh that uh sewell did before he got injured on the, the pass that uh He's going to his left, and he's got the, the quarterbacks out of the, the uh, pass protection, and he puts his arm to throw, and Sewell jumps up. And the guy immediately has to put the ball down, and, he, and then Sewell lands on top of him and sacks him. But uh, defensive linemen are so much into sacks, they forget how important just having your hands up are. If you get them up in front of a quarterback – and particularly this one at UCLA, who was only 5'10", I think, um, a lot of times they have to change the trajectory of their pass. You do that, all of a sudden, there are more guys in the secondary that are going to be in a position to get to the pass, and maybe he'll overthrow it, and a safety's going to pick it off. So um, that's, that's, that's all I have to say about that. <laughs> I saw a still photograph of probably the play you're talking about where Sewell appears to have about a 48-inch vertical in addition to everything else he does uh, up in the air trying to get that. It was like he had a jet pack on. Um, speaking of Sewell. I know, I know. It was. Have you ever seen a guy and, and that just up for an injury where it looks like his leg is broken or his knee is ACL'd and it's just – excruciating pain the cart comes out the whole team is somber and then two days later he's at practice practicing quote normal this guy might be superhuman well it, yeah his 48 inch jump reach i mean he, it was as if he jumped on a trampoline and got up there but that speaks to the great athlete that he is 
And that's why he's having such an impact um, so quickly. He's got two of the team's uh, four sacks. Uh, I might say that there, uh, no defensive lineman has a sack so far. So if they can't get to the quarterback, get your hands up and start deflecting some passes because those guys behind them really need it more than ever. Um, you know, I was watching uh, Breeze and Holland against uh, Wisconsin, and uh, you could see those guys are all-stars. And they may have some all-stars in the secondary right now, but they aren't quite at that level yet. So just to put a, a bow on the UCLA game, do you, do you give Chip Kelly and the Bruins credit? Do you think they're dramatically improved, or do you think Oregon just didn't have it the other night? Well, you know, UCLA has always had talent. I watched them against Cal, and they looked really good. They, you know, they've cut their penalties. They've cut, well, until this game, they had cut their turnovers. But um, some of the turnovers, uh, you know, against uh, the Ducks were not because they made foolish plays. It's just, you know, a hard hit and a fumble happens. Uh, that happened twice. So I think – I think Chip had Oregon's number, and um, uh, they they played a heck of a game, and uh, they are much improved. I give UCLA a chance to beat anybody they play from here on out, and that includes USC. All right, well, looking ahead to uh, the Platypus Bowl or whatever you want to call it, um, on paper, Oregon is the big favorite. They're number nine in the AP poll. They're the Pac-12's best chance to sneak into the playoffs somehow at the end of the year. But I tell you what, Oregon State, they weren't really ready to play in the opener against Washington State. They rallied late in that game uh, and nearly pulled the comeback off. But they really, you could argue, the chain gang screwed them up in Washington or they had a real shot at beating the Huskies. And then last week they took it to Cal. This is a much improved team. This would make Jonathan Smith's year to win this game and I think they're gonna I think they're gonna be in this game just your early thoughts on the matchup well it's definitely uh what, what do you call it a trap game the, the the beaver game has always been a trap game and a lot of that is Oregon State generally has more players from the state of Oregon on their team and in that way they care more about – there's more guys with a deep care for the game than Oregon has. Second of all, um, my observation through the years is that to, for an Oregon player to really appreciate um, – we'll call it the uh, war of Southern suppression. Um, for them to really appreciate how important that game is, you've got to lose one. And you, when you lose to the Beavers, you, it hits you right in the gut about what – what this game means. And so if you've had your way with them a couple of years, there are some players uh, that have not l ever lost to the Beavers and don't know what that feels like. And uh, having gone 0 for 4 in my career against them, I'll tell you, it, it doesn't get it. It gets worse as the, uh, as they mount up. So they've got a quarterback who can uh, throw. They got the best running back in Jamar Jefferson uh, their defense, they've got a linebacker who's awesome. Uh, his name starts with an S, Spieth, 
something they like have, that. They have so he, a, I think, made a freshman all. They have at least. Three, yeah, he's a freshman all American last year. They have at least three linebackers that are awesome: Hamilcar, Rashad, Avery Roberts, Omar Spates. I mean, they have a really good linebacking core. Um, and you mentioned Jamar Jefferson. That'll be interesting because C.J. Verdell and Travis Dye have combined for 527 yards rushing in this game the last two years. Oregon has, uh, you know, won the line of scrimmage, obviously. But Jamar Jefferson, this will be his third meeting with Oregon, and he's really blossoming into maybe the MVP of the Pac-12. Will it come? Is it as simple to say whichever team, whichever coach gets their running game? going like we thought last week which proved to be false will win this game i would say that uh the losing team will get under 150 yards rushing um and both teams are capable of getting over 200 so um i i think that uh oregon has a deeper talent um i'm not sure uh I think the Oregon secondary, I would, I would rate ahead of the Beavers, but as you say, the linebackers are solid and their, their defensive uh, line is quite good. And the offensive line, although not deep has been pretty effective. They got screwed up in Seattle and uh, it's just unfortunate that uh, spots can't be reviewed because even the, the, the guys on TV said there's something wrong here. I, I mean, I saw it and the, the guy who spotted the ball spotted it uh, at least, I would say, 24 inches short of where it, it was at the least. So, and they had had a goal line stand down at the other end uh, to keep the Huskies out. So, you know, the Huskies showed that they're pretty good last week. Um, Oregon State played them nose to nose, got way behind, and then uh, – came close, brought it together at halftime, and it was a, it's a, going to be a tough game. And I'll tell you where um, Oregon has an Achilles heel right now, and it's field goal kicking. Uh, Camden Lewis is one for four. He missed a 23-yarder against UCLA. And that's like you or I missing a 12-inch putt, um, except, that, you know, there's not – it's just a straight line between where you kick and where it goes through the goalpost. So um, he got off to a start like this last year and kind of, you know, got it together, but this is all conference games. You don't have like three games to warm up and get the kinks out. And Mario, what's interesting uh, when he first got here, he would, he would never go for field goals. Now he's going for them all the time. And I think there are a lot of people say, well, let's go for it instead. It's just, it's really a morale uh, downer to, you know, you're kicking the balls being placed on the 23 yard, the 13 yard line and it, and you miss that's, that's terrible. So I hope the game doesn't come, come down to a kick. If it does, I hope that uh, Lewis has ironed his, uh, his deal out, but, um, well, that's, I think it's going to be a, a hell of a game. I think he made his 23 yarder. He missed a 43 yarder, if I'm not mistaken. But, oh, that's right. That's right. Uh, still 43 yards for a power five kicker. 
you know, it's, it's about concentration. It's not about the distance. So uh, Camden definitely has some issues. Uh, Henry Cattleman walk on will be challenge him in, in practice. But uh, if I were Oregon, I'd be going for it on fourth down anywhere, you know, over, over, you know, unless it's, you know, in that 20 to 30 yard range. So that'll be interesting. Um, as you mentioned, the, the psychology of when you lose to Oregon State, Oregon has won 11 of the last 12 meetings. They've averaged 45.3 points per game in those 12 meetings. They've averaged a 20.2 margin of victory in those meetings. But yet the one loss was the straw that broke Mark Helfrich's back when you consider that he had a young baby-faced Justin Herbert on his side, and he was coaching against Gary Anderson, who since that day has been an absolute disaster as a football coach. Well, you're right. And the, um, the, the irony was that game was close going into the fourth quarter, and Oregon State totally dominated Oregon in the fourth quarter. They drove the ball, running the ball right over them. And uh, it was maddening because it, it was raining and windy and uh, the Beavers were not wearing their capes. They made fun of the Ducks because they had to be wearing capes when the weather got bad. And so um, they really uh, took it to Oregon and, you know, it's bad enough losing to them. It's worse when they run over you uh, to victory. So yeah, that's a tough one. I, I still have bad memories about that. Yeah. I think Oregon could really use a a Brady breeze this week, just because he could speak to redshirting that year and watching that from the sideline and, and knowing what that felt like. Now they have Camp Moyer and a couple fifth year seniors that remember that, but not too many of those guys. I asked Mario, because one amazing thing about Oregon that I think fans should be excited about is they have 110 guys on the roster. 81 of them are sophomores, redshirt freshmen, or freshmen. So they're the youngest team in the country, and they're the number nine team in the country. But I asked Mario, with so many guys that have not even played in this game, do you worry at all? Do you mention the rivalry? Do you try and educate them, or do you just let them experience it? And he said, no, no, no. That would be a big mistake not to preach about this because they need to know that if you're not ready for Oregon State, they would love nothing more than to upset Oregon's uh, run at the uh, Pac-12 championship. Well, that's that's right. And it's, uh, uh, again, the observation is I really think this game often means more to Oregon State just because – you know, a lot of times it makes their season. It's their bowl game. Um, but I think also it is because they got a lot of Oregon guys. And, you know, there was a time when uh, Oregon State won eight in a row. And, uh, boy, things were down everywhere. And uh, the, the, the thing that will be interesting, if this was going to be a packed house, I think it would really help Oregon State, you know, the crowd getting them fired up and the chainsaw going and everything. The, uh, I got a, a look at some statistics today. The average crowd for a Pac-12 game this year is 85. <laughs> and so 
um, the Beavers are not going to have a big crowd to inspire them. The game itself is going to, it's going to come down to the game itself. So that, that puts it solely on the, uh, the shoulders of Oregon that, you know, you, you want to win it. You better, you better win the line of scrimmage and you better pay attention and keep a, keep track of the ball. Turnovers could be a decider too. I mean, it's a nice, it's a nice day today, but Friday, who knows? They call it Black Friday, by the way, and that's a little bit of a, a negative because black is Oregon State's color. So um, I'd like to make it a green Friday. Well, Oregon had black uniforms last week. So uh, <laughs> before the season started, obviously, I thought the road trip to Cal would be the, the landmine. You know, Cal was supposed to be good this year. COVID has totally wrecked their season they're they're a mess frankly you know they might get it in order before Oregon and give Oregon a game but I think this is the landmine now this Oregon State road game um, but I think the UCLA game is going to be a blessing in disguise for Oregon I think they're not happy with the way they played I think they're not happy that they're not making statements that the playoff selection committee is going to pay attention to so I think they'll be ready to play and I think they'll win a close game you know like a a 38-27, type of game. Are you asking for my prediction? Yeah, let's hear it. I'll say, I'll, I'll say, uh, twenty-seven, twenty-one. Beavers? No. <laughs> okay. Ducks? No. I would just say this to the Oregon guys. If you think that you can walk out on the field and, and think that you're automatically better than UCLA, they're mistaken. UCLA has a lot of, of, of skill and uh, talent, and in some areas where Oregon doesn't have it. So I would, you know, if, a, if I had, knew a player that was expressing that, I would try to bring them down to earth because Oregon – has to play well to win. They they cannot go out and play lousy. I mean, they played they played pretty good against uh, UCLA. UCLA is good team. Cal is not, and one of the reasons they aren't is the, the city of Berkeley, then their mayor, and the limitations they had about limiting the size of guys, the amount of guys who could practice. They they couldn't go against each other. You know, because you could spread germs that way. So they went against tackling, you know, blocking dummies. So that's one reason why they look so bad in their first game. Oh, by the way, you're going to play UCLA Sunday morning. That didn't help either. So if uh, if the Ducks can win this one and they, they look at Cal, I would, I would not let them watch the film of the first game because that's not Cal. All right. Well, we'll get to that next week, but uh, it should be a fun one on Friday. And, uh, you know, I'm looking forward to it. Um, like I said, I'm glad they're playing in the traditional window and that we'll have, you know, a number of games knock on wood after that. So uh, make sure you check out all the coverage at registerguard.com. And thanks for tuning in, everybody.